0: When Pastor Chris picked me up from the airport There was a deer crossing sign I didn't know there were deer in Texas It just doesn't, I'm from the east coast So that doesn't make sense And then just coming here just now Bambi ran right in front of us, we almost hit her So I said, yeah, okay, it's legit It's not just a sign It's like when you go to Maine and you, in New Hampshire you see moose crossing And then, okay, there you go Deer, I'm like, wow, okay Alright, so it's great to be here Um It's great to be with the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, 25. We have not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together. We said that door knocking a few hours ago that we need people. One of the lessons of the pandemic is that we need people. So much of our life, particularly in America, is isolated. We have everything delivered to our houses. We have all this insulation. I'm in my car. I get out of my car. I go to work. I get back in. Everything is insulated. And the pandemic showed me that in that Isolation, there's a lot of loneliness. I get kind of tired of me. Um, I, I, want, I need connection. We are bred by God as a race for connection. So um, the church is part of that. And the, and, the, and the pandemic has reminded us of the need of that. But I want to speak tonight about the challenge for the church in the pandemic. The challenge for the church in the pandemic. Uh, the challenge for the church in the pandemic is not obedience, It's not obedience. There are many Christians that are obeying God in the pandemic. That's not the big challenge here. Um, The the church is not struggling in the area of obedience. Um, I would say the challenge is really not discipline, though discipline is a challenge at any time. Before there was a pandemic, there was the challenge of discipline. So it wasn't like the pandemic made it hard to be disciplined. Um, In some respects, the isolation has made it harder for us to be undisciplined. We can't go run wild. But discipline is not the major challenge for the church in the pandemic, to be honest. I would also say it's not performance. Many Christians are doing a lot in the pandemic. They're online more than ever. They're on the phone. They're connecting. They're reaching out. We, the Christian church took Zoom and made it a thing. Uh, we made it. The church made it a thing before this educational system did. We were out there Zooming it up, and then the educational system caught up. But we were on Zoom before there was school doing Zooms. It was incredible. So we, it's not that we're not really um, performing, but I think the thing that is missing in this pandemic with the church is that we've lost our vision. We are the family of God, the body of Christ, and there's no vision. I'm going to speak about that tonight. Helen Keller said this, there's only one thing worse than being blind, is to have no vision. And the one thing I get when I talk to Christians around the world, and I've, in the pandemic I've traveled to six countries and, all, and around America, and what I continually find is Christians are suffering with vision. They're a bit lost. They're a bit wild because they are lost, and underneath all of that is there's no vision. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, just the a part of the verse, says this. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says it this way. The ASV says it this way. Where there is no vision, the people live without restraint. It's wild. There's a lot of wildness today. Has tons of passion and very little principle. Sometimes your passion is so loud, I don't even want to hear your principle. We believe the louder we yell about our principle, the more viable our principle is. But notice that when you, you, you pray, you feel the louder your prayers, the more God hears you, as if God has a hearing problem. He doesn't. You now, the Spirit speaks to you in 1 Kings 19 12 in a still small voice. God does not have to yell at me. So, why do I have to yell at God to get his attention? That's what happened in 1 Kings 18. The, gods, the, the worshipers of Baal had to yell because they wanted to wake up their God and get their attention. I don't have to yell to get God's attention. He knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly who I am. Without a vision, there's no restraint in my life. What is vision? I mean, vision is not just motivational for the Christian. Most of the time, a lot of different denominations preach vision motivationally. It's instructive. It's fundamental. Vision is a fundamental part of my Christianity. And when I don't have it, I have no guidepost, I have no foundation, I have no compass. I begin to drift in grace, I wander in the body of Christ. And in Jeremiah fourteen ten, I am prone to wander. Meaning this, it's my habit and not the exception. When you find yourself drifting in prayer and drifting in study and drifting in worship, that's expected, you're built that way. We're prone to wander. Without a vision, it's hard for us. And what is a vision? It's the ability or the opportunity to see before and to see beyond, to see God and where I am and to see God and where I'm going. That's vision. Without vision, you don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. It's scary. And this time of year, we always think about vision, but we don't call it vision. We just do this reflection on our life. We consider our life because in January, we're looking back in 2020 saying, wow, that was a year. We reflect backwards and then we consider forward and we wonder where are we're going without a vision. And when you, when you feel discouraged and dissatisfied and even depressed, underneath that is a lack of vision. The lack of vision because you try to cure the discouragement by finding ways to encourage yourself, and then you use stimuli to encourage yourself, but it stays. Why does it stay? There's no vision. Where are we going? I remember we planted a church in Owens Mills, and one couple said to me, Pastor, it doesn't matter what you preach, just tell me where we're going. Take my family somewhere. Where are we going? Where are we going, Pastor? I mean, I'm with you. I'm all in. Me and my wife, my kids, but where are we going? If we're not going anywhere, I don't want to go. That's foolishness to get in the car and not know where the car is going. We're running 100 miles for God and don't know do where we're going. Excited about the worship, excited about the ministry, excited about the outreach, excited about the inreach, and we have no vision. Where am I going? Where am I going? Vision. Where am I going? Without a vision. It's like the times in First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It was a time, it was a dark time. It said it was a time where there was no open vision. And that's interesting. The Bible doesn't say there was no vision. It says there was no open vision. That means there was no revealed vision. So it's not like God doesn't have a vision for your life and God doesn't have a vision for the church and God doesn't have a vision for this time. It's just not revealed because the church at large is not expressing that vision because they haven't got a vision. Many people don't. There's churches that build organizations with no vision. You've been to them. They run like corporations. They've got, a, they've got an organization. They've got a hierarchy. They've got, a, I've got, a, 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 they've got an org chart. They've got standard operating procedures and everything runs like clockwork. They've got salaries, they've got human resources. Everything is organized. And where's the vision? We're building a tower instead of riding in an ark. Say, when I'm riding in an ark, I didn't build that, but god got to get a vision redemption. Noah, there's a vision. So we get in the ark, and God built the ark, and God kept the ark. God didn't build the tower and God didn't keep the tower because God didn't give man the vision for the tower. God gave man the vision for the ark. Religion builds towers. Spirituality builds an ark. The ark is something I've never seen before. What did God say in Habakkuk 1, 5? I will work a work in your days that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. 1 Samuel chapter 3, your ears will tingle when I tell you. That's a vision. Vision from God, and I don't want to speak long tonight about that, but I do want to say some things about it. My life without a vision is empty. My church without a vision is a social club, really. My marriage without a vision makes us roommates with conjugal visits. That's all we are, really. Without a vision, where are we going? Where are we going? See, this is why a vision for my life is so necessary. Number one, it gives it definition. It outlines the parameters. Number two, it gives it design. It orchestrates how I have ministry. What is the goal behind the ministry? Not just going out. I I always like to challenge myself um, when I do outreach in different countries and even in America. Why am I out here? Why am I here? When the worship team gives up the stand, do we know why we're here? It's at some point, when I can't ask that question anymore, then it loses its purpose. It's just, I just start doing the thing. It gets mechanical. And in the mechanical, it's no longer mystical. I miss God. God forbid when your, your, your vision, your life with God loses the mystical. The supernatural is not a part. Because then you have to manufacture it. And you see guys trying to manufacture the, the anointing of God because they've lost The vision. There's no open vision. Vision is necessary for my life because it can be dynamic. It can be motivational because it is personal. You know why it's motivational? Because the word motivation speaks about movement. When a vision's moving and when I have a vision, I'm moving in a vision. So it's motivational because I'm in the vision and I'm moving. It's motivational. He said, without a vision, it's Proverbs 29 verse 18. People perish. The word there means to rebel, be confused. And I like how he says it this way. He says the people, definite article, the. A specific group of people. He's not saying just everybody, he's saying a specific group, the. Who is the, the? It's the people of God. It's the people of God. Without a vision, we're perishing. A vision. Vision. God gives us a vision. God's vision always is personal. But it's always connected to a greater corporate vision. I'm in a church that has a vision and God has a vision for me in the vision. I'm a piece of the puzzle and the piece has a purpose as well as the puzzle has a purpose. It's purpose in both. God's vision for my life always glorifies God, never glorifies people. I'm in the right church with the right place when they glorify God. I'm in the wrong place in the wrong church when they glorify people. Where is the glory going? Stand back and look and ask yourself, where is the glory going? I don't care about the edifice. I don't care about the organization. Where is the glory going? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 29, that no flesh would glory in God's presence. And if I see man glorying, then I know that God is not getting gloried and God's presence is not here. For God's presence does not visit the glory of men doesn't do it. God's vision in the beginning is never popular. You notice when God gives you something in your life, everybody wants to rain on it. It's amazing. I get excited when everybody hates it because I realize you get that Joseph anointing, like they all hate it. Great. It means it's God. It's so good. Thank you. I would have been worried if all of you were for it. I'm like, oh, I've got the consensus of the flesh. I don't want that. I would have to have the condemnation of the flesh, and I would have to have the encouragement of God. I need that. The vision of God is never possible in the flesh. So if your vision from God is impossible, it's a great chance that God is in it. Because what is impossible with men is possible with God. God's vision always requires God's people. I find it interesting that people get a vision that doesn't include the church. That's unbiblical, number one. That's not how God works. God's vision always brings his people together. It does not separate them apart and fragment the body of Christ, thinking that we're more stronger divided than together. God does not look at the world and say, divide and conquer. He says, unite and build a different message. So I get worried of, there's a lot of parachurch organizations that have grown up in the last 50 years in the church. And many of them have replaced the church in people's lives. They do good work, they do good things. But anything that says to me, no, don't go to church, just do this, I'm worried about that. Because it violates Hebrews 10, 25. It violates the uniting of God together. We said this earlier, that in Acts chapter 2, God could have told, it, could have told those 500 people, go to your homes and wait, I'm going to send you the Spirit. Mm. But he didn't do that. Wow. He made them come together. He said, I could give it to you at home, but you missed the blessing of union. Before you have communion with the Spirit, I want you to have union with yourselves. Which, oh, he, he cultivated union before he gave them communion. He could have very easily done it and it wouldn't have been a bad thing. Stay at home with your family, isolate, quarantine. He could have quarantined those 500 people and I'll give you your individual vaccine of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what happened. He said, I want you to come together at the risk of foolishness, at the risk of not understanding why. Come together because when you come together, I will do something special that you can't get at home. And he did. Vision. Vision. God's vision always builds God's people together because God's vision uses people together. The vision of God uses people together. It's a vision from God. The dreams are nice. and A lot of folks in Christianity live by dreams. The problem with dreams are... It's a narrow revelation. Notice in a dream, when you get into a dream, you don't know how it started you don't know how it ends. You just kind of, it's like being thrown in the middle of a movie, scene five, and you're in it. And Then you wake up and you're out of it. You don't know how you got there. So you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how I got in and how do I get out. I don't want to discount your dreams, but when God gives me the vision, <laughs> he gives me soup to nuts, A to Z, A to Z, rather. It's the whole thing, because the vision of God is progressive. You've noticed with dreams they get repetitive but they're not progressive? The vision of God is progressive because spiritual revelation is progressive. It's progressive. There's an Exodus after a Genesis. It's progressive. God reveals. Seven times God told Abraham what he was going to do. in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 14, 15, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 22. He keeps revealing the same vision over and over. And as it gets progressive, it gets wider and wider and wider and wider. And, wider. and he's doing that for you. And do you know why God's progressively with, 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 uh, with a vision? With revelation rather? Because of capacity passive and, and you read John 14 and 15 and 16 and God begins to uncover the revelation of the Holy Spirit He's a lot to say but he says wait a minute in John 16 12 I have a lot of stuff to tell you and I could tell you but you can't bear it right now But there's another who will tell you and in the verse, next verse verse 13 he'll tell you everything progressively and he does so God's vision is progressive because of capacity and also the plan of God in the fullness of time in Galatians 4 4 right our times are in his hands in Psalm 31, verse 15. God reveals that. A vision. A vision. I said that, I said that the vision in the beginning is never popular. I would also say this too God always backloads his blessing, the world always front loads the blessing. When the world gives you something in the beginning, it's amazing, right? You bought that watch that was made in Taiwan and made overseas. You're like, this looks amazing. That $3 Rolex, it looks amazing. It took a shower, then it turned purple and made, gave you a rash on your arm.
1: So wait a minute,
0: it was looking so good for a second, and now a week later, what happened? It was, the blessing was front loaded, but the back end, gotcha. God is the other way around. In the beginning, the things that God says to this looks like foolishness. How many times has God told you to do something? You're like, this is crazy. Why am I even doing this? Why am I going here? Why would I trust this person? Why would I do that? But on the back half, Matthew three seventeen, on the other side of your faith, like John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three, literally he spends the entire chapter bragging about Jesus when he comes. He's going to baptize with fire. He's going to send all these. He's bragging when Jesus, like, yeah, when he comes. Then Jesus comes and says, "No, you're going to baptize me." No, that's not how it works. <laughs> I've been taught what you're going to do. You want me to baptize you? Yeah. But come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? Suffer it so for now, he says. Suffer it so for now. Why? Because on the other side of your faith, I'm going to do something supernatural. And then the Trinity shows up. For the first time in the New Testament, the Trinity shows up. Live Because you were willing to take the backloaded blessing. You were willing to look foolish in the moment because God had a vision for something greater. A lot of Christians are doing crazy things in the pandemic and they got a vision from God and in the front looks, that's crazy. So you guys are going to assemble in a pandemic. People are dying every day. Why would you do that? You're insensitive. The science doesn't lie and neither does the vision. The back loaded vision on the other side of our faith has a vision, has a vision, a vision of God. It's important. And we talked about earlier this morning, but how do you survive in in your walk with God, how do you last five years, ten years, fifteen years? You can try to survive in your gift, but without a vision for your life, you burn out, tired. I've seen very gifted people walk away from God gifted musicians, gifted speakers, gifted people walk away. It becomes a season when I was on fire for God, and they just tell me the truth. You know what? I was doing it in my talent, I was doing it in the flesh. Steve Green said that. He said, for 16 years, I was cutting the albums, gold albums, in the flesh. Just running in talent. Running in a gift without God. Because you're so gifted, you say, oh, that's so anointed. No, that's just so talented, what you're trying to say. But, I, but he said, I wasn't really connected with God. But I was just manufacturing it. People just drank it like water. 16 years, he said. And then God arrested him. Billy Graham talked about how at the beginning of his ministry he would preach the thousands, but he didn't have the anointing. He didn't have it in the beginning. He said, I don't have it. I don't know what's wrong. Something's wrong. And you know when you're operating in your gift, when you don't sense God, it's hollow inside, isn't it? You're like dying. Oh my. And everyone's like, eh, that was it. you're like, oh my God. You go home and you just kind of look in your spiritual mirror and you're like, What was that? What was that? That was so me, and that was not him. I'm dead from that. And it gets, it, You know what it does? It's hollow, and it makes you hollow inside, and then you want to walk away. Like one person said to me today in door knocking, you know, a lot of people say a lot of things, and I'm not seeing what God is saying and what they're doing. I'm doing the same thing. Bitter. Bitter. No vision of God, just a vision of man. So one of the things that you can do is rehearse the vision. Why are you doing what you're doing? I love to ask myself that question weekly almost. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why? I don't want to do it just to do it. I don't want to even do it so I can brag and say I did it. Ah, I read the Bible so I can say I read the Bible. I pray so I can set up. I don't want to do it to say I can do it. I want genuineness in my walk with God. Sincerity in my walk with God. I want it to be real, organically, beyond the assembly. I want that connection, that continuation, that the anointing that I had in the assembly has vapors in the rest of my week. I want that. Back in two, two. write the vision. A lot of people are writing, but the problem is they don't make it plain. They don't make it plain. And the vision of God begins with the cross, and I'll close with that. The vision of God begins with the cross. Who God is, what God did, and what he said. The vision of the cross. And many people have a ministry with no cross, because if, it's the, if the cross is in my ministry, that I died in myself, and I am not allowed to live by my preferences, and I am not allowed to have my way, and I am not allowed to do what I wanna do, but I am led by God in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, and Galatians 5, 16, and 17, and Galatians 5, 25. I am led by God in Romans eight fourteen. I am led by God, and because I'm led by God, I don't get my way. Yeah. The plan of God is not limited to my preferences. So at 7 a.m., I'm singing, this, exhausted with no energy, I'm singing to 200 men. Why? not my preference. I want to sleep. i <laughs> a soft pillow, but... Not thy will. Not my will, but thy will. Jesus says to the Father. He sees the cross. And then in Hebrews 12 too, for the joy set before him, he endured the will of God. Let's put it that way. Let's replace that little part of the verse. For the joy set before him, he endured the will of God. Because everything that God asked me to do is not always what I want to do. Right? But I find my strength in the same place I find my joy. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, right? The verse I love in 2 Chronicles 16, I want to say 6. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro, seeking who he may show himself strong in. God can only show himself strong in weak people. Yeah. I gl- so when you're strong, you, put, you handcuff God. Yeah. When you get strong in your gift, yeah. Yeah. when you get strong in your ministry, you handcuff God in your ministry. But when you can be transparent and say, God, I have a vision of you, I have a vision walking with you, this is the vision. When I walk in the vision, with first of all, the vision is Christ. And when I come to the cross, that's the first vision I get. People say to me, oh, Pastor, and I'm so spirit-filled. The first person the spirit illuminates is Jesus Christ. So if there's no Christ in your ministry, don't tell me there's the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate the person in the work of Jesus Christ. That's what John 12 and 13 says. I will guide you in all truth, first and chiefly about Jesus Christ. The Son pointed to the Father, and the Spirit points to the Son. That's Christianity. But this, is the, this is the vision we have. When we have a vision, when we have a vision from God, for where God is taking us as a church, as an individual... First thing we have is a future together. We're going somewhere together. We're not just co-joined. We're co-journeying. Get the difference. I'm not just co-joined to you in 1 Corinthians 12. We are co-journeying in Amos 3.3. We are co-moving. We're connected corporately forward. You say, but it's a pandemic. Our journey, the pandemic is part of our journey. The pandemic is not our journey. Failure is part of our journey. It's not our journey. Don't let your failure and your challenges be re- named your journey. You, it's like Psalm 23, verse 4, you journey through that. You don't stop there. You don't abide there. But if you're abiding with him, Christ is on the move, and you're moving with him. So we move through dark valleys, and we rise with hills, and we go through valleys, and we continue. We continue. We continue. 2 Timothy 3.14, we continue in the things that we have learned, understanding two things. Number one, what we learned. Number two, who taught us? Isaiah 55.11, God has done work in your heart and the word of God has been been sown in your life. Right? The word of God has been sown in your life and it's done some work in Hebrews 4.12 and 2 Timothy 3.16 and Jeremiah 15.16. It's done some work say, well, Pastor, Ronald. I haven't studied the Bible that much. You've, you've touched it. Well, let me say it this way. The Bible's touched you. Never underestimate the power of the word of God, as Pastor Chris pointed out in your life. Psalm 62, verse 11, one of my favorite verses. God spoke once, but I heard it twice, that men would know that power belongs to God. It's the second time. Maybe, Pastor Chris, if somebody in your life said the Bible to you and you heard it, and then there was a rehearsal in John four twenty-six. God brought it back. He looped it. You got, and then it's suddenly, suddenly you're different. You think different in the area because you got the word. It wasn't some charismatic personality in a nice suit and a, a pretty smile. It was the word of God. Right? The word of God. Vision. So if we, we, we envision the future again. Number two, when I'm walking in a vision in my church, in my marriage, in my life, I understand that in a vision I'm always covered I need a covering in my life. We said this today, that the pastor is as much a gift as the church as the Holy Spirit is. Because the Holy Spirit would not lead me away from the gifts of God, but to the gifts of God. I think people say, I'm, I've been spirit-led away from the church. No, you weren't. You know not what spirit you are. I've been led away from the pastor. No, you weren't. Why would God lead you away from the thing that he gave you? Does that make any sense Spiritually, geographically, no, it doesn't. God, the Spirit does not lead me away from the things of God or the people of God and tell me that it's God. No, no. I'm sorry, this word doesn't agree with you. Okay. You may not have a you may not have a reason for being here, but God has saw so fit that you'd be called here, right? Colossians one13 thirteen. You've been translated into something. Ephesians chapter one verse six. You've been accepted into something. You're in something. The greatest revelation of God practically in the world is the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. We are the legs and arms of God. We are the fullness of God. Nothing in the Bible is described as the fullness of God but the church. Nothing. No outreach, no ministry, no injury. It's the church. What's interesting about the church is the way God sees the church is not the way the church sees the church. And that's why the church is not powerful. Because the way God sees the church, that is the greatest expression of his fullness. When we look at the church, we don't, here's why. God looks at the church through the cross. Mm. We look at the church without the cross. So outside of the finished work, we judge it. -hmm. It's a shocking to me when I saw, when I I meet Christians, it's the very few Christians that meet to edify their church. I'm not in their church. When they talk about the church... Man, my church, oh, my God. I just, and they just bashing. Pow pow, 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 pow. Wow. Then why are you still there? Well, you know, our family's been there. It's like prison. Wow. It's
1: like,
0: it's like, it's <laughs> it's like start a new show called Battered Christians and just let them go off mm-hmm. on their churches. Wow. Never mind what the devil has to say about the church. You're the, you're the worst advertisement. Well, yeah, I go to so-and-so church. You know that church up there, they're horrible. But whoa. Really? Oh, I'm surprised. Depart- I said I said to one person, do you tell everybody about your church like that? Wow, you're like the worst flyer ever.
1: <laughs> oh, <you're like> bad. <laughs>
0: Man. And, and you're the bigger fool because you stay there. Why don't you stay there? The way God sees his church, he has a vision for the world through his church. Second Corinthians 5.20, we are his ambassadors. The Bible is not called his ambassadors, but we are his ambassadors who carry the word. Under, under the law, the Jews in Romans chapter two, they were God's ambassadors. But in the church age, the church are the ambassadors. We are. Romans 10, how will they hear? Lest we speak. Psalm 68 verse 11, God gave the word in great with the company of them that published it. It's a church. A vision. And in division, the there's a covering. The church is a covering for my life. Read Matthew 16, 18. It says, The gates of hell will not prevail against the Christians. Is that what the, is that what the verse says? The, the gates of hell will not prevail against the, the, the outreach. It says, The gates of hell will not prevail against the church.
1: Hmm.
0: Specifically, the church. Covering in a vision, don't tell me you have a vision for God without a covering. I've got a vision, I've got no covering. Where does that happen in the Bible? Really? In the church, where does that happen? It doesn't happen. Because under the covering, there's direction and protection and guidance and instruction. It's interesting when you preach about the church, people don't like that because the church gets a bad rap. Because when I look at the cross, when I look at the church without the cross, it is ugly. It is flawed. It is abusive, it is controlling, it is sinful. Mm-hmm. What's funny is God doesn't see that because he sees it through the cross. Wow. But you see it because you take the cross and move the cross out of the way and you look at sinful people unforgiven by God. It's amazing to me. The way that God looks at the church is through the cross. And if I look at the church the way God looks at the church through the cross, it will change my perspective of the church. Where else are you going to learn about God? Christianity is not a DIY program. Pandemic or no pandemic, you're not going to grow as a Christian without a church. Not going to. Pastor, I've been hurt. I get it. I've been hurt when I go to the dentist, I still go. (laughs) I've been hurt when I go to the hospital, still go. It hurt when I go to... Been hurt, been hurt, been formal, formalized education has hurt me badly. And I got the wounds to prove it. Catholic education still went. So am I evaluating the church on what it's done for me? Or am I evaluating because of where God has placed me? Pastor Ronaldo, my family has hurt me. But are you still in your family? Yes. Amazing how much we give the, our family a pass, but we crucify the church. Someone in ch- Someone in my family borrowed $500 and I forgive it because they're family. Someone in the church doesn't speak to me and I'm leaving this church. I can't believe these people. They're out of They're, not, they're not. Amazing. We're looking for a reason to run and the flesh will find it. Then it will justify it. I'm not even saying you're wrong. What they did to you was wrong. I agree. I agree. I'm not going to defend sin. I am going to say that's the place where God has called me he put me in the church to grow and if God allowed by the way whatever happened to me in the church God allowed it and there's divine purpose in it and suffering is part of our call what's interesting about the Bible is perfection is that part of our call suffering is Yet I want perfection and hate the suffering. So we said it earlier this morning, 2 Peter 3.18, God has called us to grow. There is no growth without adversity. I want the growth, I don't want the adversity. I need the adversity because it's part of growth. It's part of change. It's gonna hurt a little bit. I want surgery, but put me under. <laughs> I think we'd like God to drag us, we said this morning, through Christianity as opposed to lead us. Just drag me. Right. Oh, I'm too, I don't want God. God, please take me. I, sometimes I listen to those songs and I wonder, Lord, take me. Do you really mean that? You do. Because you don't want to walk. You just want God like a kid against your will, ticking and screaming, no, no, no,
1: no.
0: no. You want to walk with God like that for years. <laughs> and with the Holy Spirit going, come on, come on, come on. You're like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And that's your walk. And that's your. I mean, you sing it like this is Just a closer walk. When really you mean God, no, I want to go drag me, drag me, drag me. Come on. God's not gonna drag you. He's not. He's gonna love you. With loving arms that will draw you.
1: Huh?
0: He's gonna draw me. A vision. A vision. And when God gives you a vision, he always provides a provision. In 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. the beginning of that provision is him. He provides. No one's going to help me, okay? Maybe they don't have to. It's people, my provision, or God. I remember my wife and I were in Zambia. We had a bad month of monthly support. We got four supporters just decided, you know, we're pastor, we're tired of supporting the work in Zambia and you and your family. And it was, a, was classic abruptness. We're just cutting it, starting this month. I looked at the account, and it said $12. I said, wow. I told my wife, Charity, I said, hmm, $12. My daughter was too young to understand. I said to myself, it's going to be interesting. So my wife took her clothes she had, drove down to the parking lot. She sold cl- her clothes. Uh, we had meatless Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays. And on the days we had meat, they had meat, and I did not. And that was how we got through December. It was, beans, it was bean Christmas. And then January came again, 14 now, back to back. Okay, there's a provision. God is in it, woe unto you when the goodness of your life, God is not in it. And woe unto you when the badness of your life, God is not in it. But if God is in it, then you can win. There's a provision. He's always there. I got to find a God in it. And you have your own stories, but I got to find suffering is part of it. You don't get to write your own story. The world says, rewrite your life. I can't rewrite my life. I didn't get it right the first time. I'm not going to get it right the second time. But God is writing my story. God is writing. And, and I'm just reading the pages. In the spirit, by faith. And what are we doing again tomorrow, God? I don't know. And God's not giving you any report. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, God's not going to tell you, because if he told you, you wouldn't believe it. So God just says, I'm going to give you enough for today, and then check with me Tomorrow. I like that about David's life in warfare. Whenever God, he went into battle, he always went to God and said, Okay, God, what's next? And then he made sure the next one went in battle. He didn't assume that the same instructions that worked in the last fight will work in this fight. He goes right back. You keep seeing David go right back. There's a great expression about David's life. David inquired of the Lord. Mm. David inquired of the Lord. David inquired. It's almost like it was his routine. Like, Aren't you tired of inquiring of the Lord? No, I'm never, I'm never tired of winning. So yeah, I'm good, with, I'm good with that formula. Inquire of the Lord and win. As opposed, assume the Lord and, and hope. I think this is what he... No, 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 A vision. It's so great to have a vision. A vision for my life. A vision for the church. A vision for my marriage. A vision for my friendships. A vision. And many times you join a church, you don't have a vision for your life. But Here's the good part. If you're in a good church... They have a vision. And in their vision, God gives you a vision. And in the beginning, maybe you don't have a vision, so you run in their vision. And as you run by faith in their vision, co-journeying with them, God gives you a personal vision. That's in concert with their vision. Not against their vision. That's why it requires humility. Sometimes see the guys, they see the vision of, of the church. They say, I don't like that vision. So I'm going to run on this vision. And why would God ever bless division? The mm. There's some things God will never bless. He will never bless division. That's why sometimes you've got to die to what you want. You've got you to die to being right. you got to die to having your way. You've got to die to being recognized. you got to take all those things to the cross. And I'm gifted and no one notices God gave you the gift, so why wouldn't God notice? It's his timing, not yours. John 7, 6, Jesus tells John, Peter, your time is always, my time has not yet come. Peter's Peter's like us, I'm ready! And Dad's like, No, you're not. No, you're not. Come on, Peter. And you think you are, you're going to deny it. I'm not going to deny it. No, I would never do it. And right there, the cock is throwing. And I can just see, because it's like on the landing, I can see when Peter denies it, the fire looks up, and Christ is staring right at him, right out of Hollywood. He's like, (laughs) And and Peter's like, (laughs) And and he cue the music. (laughs) And then he close up with the camera. Close up Jesus Christ's face.
1: Oh, like, oh, oh, oh.
0: Do oh. the commercial.
1: Oh, what happened
0: to poor Peter? He denied Jesus. Just like that. Denied him. And you and I, we want to say, I'm the one that never denied Jesus. And that scene is our life. We're like, oh my God, I denied him. Like, yeah, Jesus, thank God. And God's like, that's okay. Because I got you. There's a vision for your life. Yeah. It's a, it's a vision for your life. Find me, I put you in a church because I have a vision for the church. The church, we said this the other day, God made himself known first through a person, through a family, through a nation, and then through the church. We're the fourth progressive revelation of who God revealing himself. When I'm in a church, we as a church are revealing God to the world. We live our life out loud for God. We're revealing God to the world. What else are they gonna find God? It's shocking how they try to explain things. It's amazing, the, the, the sophistication of their confusion and delusion is shocking. So when, I told one engineer, you took, how long did it take you to come with this conclusion about a higher being? Years, did not it? And I took three minutes to trust God and you took, took 30 years to get to this place. And I'm further along than you. You need more faith for what you believe that I need from me. I don't want your faith, yours is hard work. I'm not putting 30 years into figuring out life without God. So, I mean, that's why around the world a lot of, a lot of scientists are getting saved because the, the empirical evidence is just too much. They're becoming either agnostic or they're, or they're becoming Christians, but they're not atheistic anymore. It's just too much. It's need too much faith to believe in that. What's easier for me? But a vision. God gives me a vision in the church's vision because by the way, the gifts that you have are based upon a vision connected to the church because your gifts are for the church, they're not for you. People make me laugh and say, well, I've, got, I've been gifted for the world. No. You've been gifted for the church. And then the church reaches the world. Hmm. But if I don't want to be accountable to the church, then I'll say I've been gifted to reach the world outside of the church. I was never intended by God to grow without a church in my life. Mm. Not God's perfect will. Right. I've had people say to me, well, you know what? I I've been, I, I gotta do my own thing outside the church. Show me the verse that validates it. You can't. Because you've been wounded and you're using your wound as an excuse to avoid the people who wounded you because you didn't have a revelation of the God who put you. If I came for the people, they're going to disappoint me. But if I came for God, i got to stay because he has something here for me. And if something has happened to me, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, God allowed it. He allowed the adversity so that I grow. But if I have a vision for him, I'll have no problem walking in a vision in his ministry. But Why would God give me a vision outside of his church? Does that make sense? Really. God's work in my life always begins in the church and goes to the world. It doesn't avoid the church and go to the world. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because where is the fullness of God in Ephesians 1, 22, or 23? In the church. Right? Where is the building of the church in Ephesians 4, 16? In the church. And that's not a popular topic. People don't like talking about the church. Give me permission, Pastor, and I'll go to do my own thing. Christian Lone Ranger. They go out there, I'm going to start a ministry giving out Chick fil A yogurts on the road to Wyoming. And I'm going to make my own dream sickle stand and hand out Chick fil A cream sickles. God is in it because I, I want him to be in it because I want to do it my way. Where do you get permission to do it your way? I'm gonna tell you a secret today. God's Chris, forgive me if I'm overstepping, but I will tell you. I'll tell you this:
1: in the Bible,
0: and in God's will, you don't have the right to come to church and be who you want to be. Let me ask you a question: in somebody else's house, do you have the right to act the way you want to in somebody else's house? When you go visit somebody else, what are you? Guests. So I don't come into my house, take off my shoes and throw them on, put my feet up on the end table, control your TV, go in the refrigerator, grab a few snacks, go use the bathroom, don't flush the toilet, leave the door, and say, hey, 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 hey oh, I don't care. No, you can't do that, can you? You can't do why? Because it's not yours. The house of God is God's. I'm part of it, but it's not my house, it's his house. What did Jesus say? My house shall be a house of prayer. My house. So you don't get permission in Christianity to be, I'm just being myself. You don't have the right to do that. My behavior is filtered through the Holy Spirit and the word of God. My vocabulary, it says in Ephesians 4.29 and Colossians 4.6, is filtered by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. My thought life is filtered. It's actually harder to be a Christian because how you think actually matters. Under the law, how you think doesn't matter. Mm. You can think evil and do good, and it's good. But Jesus said in Matthew 9, why think you evil in your hearts? Wow, oh, he you don't, oh, don't say my heart. Yes, I do. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Be- Here's why. The difference between freedom and liberty, and I'll close with this. Freedom is what you can do with no restraint. Liberty is restrained freedom. Like, I have the freedom to breathe. I have the liberty to move inside of Texas, but there are boundary lines to my liberty. My liberty cannot infringe on your liberty. I don't have the right to take advantage of your liberty and say, Galatians chapter 5, we have liberty. but it says in Galatians 5, verse 13, 12 verses later, but don't use your liberty as an occasion of the flesh. Well, you know, I just thought I would do that. Well, you don't get the right to do that. You don't. Because our freedom is monitored by the Holy Spirit. It is bounded by the word of God. And it is empowered by the work of the cross. So your behavior is actually guarded in the house of God. I can't say what I want to say to you. In Ephesians, chapter, Ephesians 3, verses 2. I be careful with my speech and careful with how I see you. If, if it, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. I have to see you. I can't judge you after the flesh. I'm not even allowed to judge you as a member of the family of God. His scary version, 1 Corinthians 4, 3, you're not even allowed to judge yourself. I'm such a jerk, God said you can't say that. Yeah. You're not allowed to say that. You can't even judge yourself. Every person is judged by the cross. Every person is the son and daughter of God. First John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has shown to us that we would be called the sons and daughters of God. Verse 2, love the second verse so much, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. And that, by the way, is the definition for edification. Edification is to treat and speak to someone the way God sees them, even though they're not acting like it. That's edification. You're acting like a jackass, but you're a child of God. So I'm going to speak to you like a child of God while you act like a jackass. That's edification. That's Romans chapter 4, verse 17, calling things that are not as though they are.
1: Yeah.
0: Because it doesn't appear what I shall be. I don't look like a son of God. First 1 John 3, I'm a son of God, but in verse 2, I've not acting like it, doesn't change the way. How many parents in the room? My daughter often doesn't act like she's my daughter. But I still treat her like my daughter. She's 12 going on 37, but I treat her like she's my daughter, even though she acts like, a, ridiculous. that's a still my daughter. I remember when she was two, on a Sunday morning, I just came home from church, and she's gotta use the bathroom, she's not potty trained, so I take her there, I turn my head for a second. Never turn your head on a two-year-old in the bathroom. <laughs> I turn around and she's finger painting with you know what on the wall. And I'm like, and then she goes like this, and I'm like, oh! And I said, that's still my daughter.
1: Finger painting no. Oh. I'm
0: like, you got to be kidding me. What? That's edification. I treat you, beautiful segue, I treat you, I treat you as you are, not as you act. Search that in your Bible. I treat you as you are and not as you act.
1: That's
0: what it is. That's what it is. Edification. Stay with 1 John 3. Two more verses, then we'll close for sure. Verse 20. If your heart condemns you. Love these two verses. My, you should memorize these two. 20 and 21 of 1 John 3. If your heart condemns you. And it will, because it says if and it could. It literally means, God's, John is literally saying, your heart's going to condemn you. It's going to happen. You say, if it does, here's the vaccine for a condemned heart. If your heart condemns you, here's the first truth. God is greater than your heart. You know what that means? That whatever you're condemning yourself about, God thinks better of you. God thinks better of you. Do you know what I've done? God thinks better of you. I used to throw live chickens down the highway. God thinks better of you. What? I stole out the offering plate. God thinks better of you. He says, he knows all. God is greater than your heart. You say, well, God doesn't know what I did. Rest of the verse, he knows all things. He knows exactly what you did. In fact, he knew about it before you did it and let you do it and still thought better of you. Wow. Then it says in the very next verse, but if your heart condemns you not, and it might not, then you have confidence with God. One of the few verses talks about you have confidence with God. You imagine how powerful your walk with God is when you have confidence with God. Hey, Ronaldo, you're a jackass. I have confidence with God. Hey, you didn't pray last night. I have confidence with God. You missed church last week. I have confidence with God. I have confidence with God. You weren't supposed to. I know, and I didn't, but I have confidence with God. I, you keep. I keep making the same sin over and over and over again. How do I get victory? I have confidence with God. My life looks like it has no purpose. No one's coming to my outreach. No one listens to our worship. I have confidence with God. I have a vision for my life. I have confidence Amen. of God. Yes. I have confidence with God. Because when I walk with God, whatever I'm supposed to be, whatever I'm supposed to do, whatever I'm supposed to say, he gets it done. He gets it done. Philippians 1.6, he who began a work in you. i being confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day. First Thessalonians five twenty four, faithful is he who called you. Pastor Chris quoted, "Faithful is he who will also do it." But what about when I'm unfaithful? Second Timothy two thirteen, when I am unfaithful, yet he abides faithful. If you have confidence with God, if you have confidence with God, don't contend yourself. There's a vision for your life. Part of that is the church. There's a vision for your life. Don't get caught up in the wildness of what's happening around you. Get caught up in the vision that's within you. There's a vision for your life. God has a vision for your life. As long as I have a vision, the the landscape changes. The behavior changes. People walk in and out of your life all the time. Have you noticed that? They're they're born and they die and they walk in and they walk out. You pick and drop people up like Facebook friends, my God. Boom boom boom, 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 Our life looks like a turnstile. But the vision is still the same. God's got a vision for your life. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8 The end of a thing is better than the beginning. What about how you started? With God, all that matters is how you finish. Because He's finished the work. As great as Christ's birth was, how He finished was even better. Here's why His birth did not remove my sin, but His death did. End of a thing is better than the beginning. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. When we come out the other side of this pandemic, the end will be better than the beginning. And we'll be closer to God, and His vision will be clearer. And you'll find that God has done a hidden work in your life that you didn't see. It'll be just like Job. Job didn't understand the purpose of everything until the end. All, All this trouble, all this trial, all this stuff, he couldn't get a clue. Why are you doing this, guy? Why? God's like, end is better than the beginning. And then you look back like, wow, God did it. He touched things I didn't even pray for. In this pandemic, God will touch things in your life you didn't pray for. But you need it. Philippians 419, my father knows what I need. So you, imagine if all God did is what you asked him for. Case in point. How many of you in this room prayed for God to give you tomorrow? Yesterday. You're on your knees saying, Okay, God, I want to live tomorrow. Who prayed for that in this room? But did you get it? Obviously, you're here. So, God gave you today when you didn't pray for it yesterday. How much more does God give you when you forget to pray for it? Maybe you prayed for protection when you drove to church tonight. You just assumed you'd be safe. You trusted God. You didn't pray for it, but He gave it. How much more is God working in your life? Problems and situations and, and solutions that you never asked Him for. Thank God your life and your relationship with God is not limited to what you say to God. Imagine the things you forgot to pray for. Oh, yeah, you know, I forgot to ask for that. Imagine if breath was a requirement. I forgot to pray. I've got to pray for breath. It's ending. The time is over. Oh, my. I forgot to pray for God. God just kind of does it. Just kind of does it. When you're not faithful, yet He abides So there's a vision for your life. There really is. And by the way, the vision is not about what you do. The vision is first in who you are. And when you walk in the vision for who you are, you can do anything for God. Anything. Anything. Don't let anybody rain on your dream, rain on your vision. You can do anything with God when you know who you are in Christ. Mm -hmm. Anything. You bulletproof your walk with God. You can do anything. And you look back and you say, he did it, he did it, he did it. Anyway, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto path. And You have a vision for our church, a vision for our children, a vision for our marriages, a vision for all of our relationships, a vision for our job. Everything in our life in the kingdom of God, there is heavenly vision connected to it. Like Paul told Felix, we are not disobedient to the heavenly vision.